Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. From Sunday Soda Fountain on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Maida, editor and publisher of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Let's talk about space. Not outer space, although we might get to that later, but the spaces we live and play in on Earth. Space is a limited resource, which makes it ideal for a business venture, you might say. And you might find yourself standing in front of a strip of vacant land and say, how do I turn this into something that makes money? Or you might say, what if it was still space? In a nutshell, that's what happened with Monkus Park. If you gloss over some classic Lafayette political intrigue, it was 100 acres of paradise that Lafayette essentially decided to preserve rather than pave. And instead of a strip mall or another parking lot, it became a top-class nonprofit park. And my guess, J.P. McFadden currently serves as its executive director. J.P. knows thing or two about space. He got his start in the aerospace industry and later owned a bakery, if you can make a connection there. Uh, JP sold the bakery and took a job as the park's operation manager, and Monkus opened in January 2022. JP McFadden, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good to be here. Okay, so you may have heard that the U.S. is in short supply of housing, that is, space to live. Yes, we've got plenty of room between the waves of grain and the Purple Mountain's majesty, but there's still a dramatic need for new or updated homes in urban spaces. My guest, Tyron Morrison, has made a business out of addressing that problem. His company, Equity Hub, is part contractor, part developer, and part title company. The stack of services helps Tyron easily rescue distressed houses and put them back into productive use as affordable homes. Tyron got into the work repairing houses in the Lake Charles area after Hurricane Laura and saw an opportunity to put all the parts of remarketing homes under one roof. Tyron was born and raised in Lafayette and got his start in the oil and gas industry. Tyron Morrissey, welcome to Out the Lunch. Thank you for having me. So, JP, um, we can't talk about space without talking about parking. I think in Lafayette, we all recognize that parking is essentially a human right. Uh, You know, so, you know, constricted parking being an issue, has that actually gotten in the way of people showing up at the park? Absolutely not. We have, I mean, the the crowds have been fantastic here, especially... Um, in our first year, we've had lots of folks show up and uh, people figure it out. So we do have parking on site, but there's plenty of other creative ways to figure out how to get there. Yeah, I guess sometimes people call that a good problem to have, right? Like, you know, I think about traffic. Sometimes people say there's too much traffic. I'm like, usually that's actually a sign that, like, there's business, there's activity in right. town. I mean, you know, but I mean, the park is not at this point completely built out. I mean, there's a second phase. There's a lot of big land. I mean, is the idea that you're going to be attracting even more people over time? I mean, what happens with the rest of all that space? Right. Well, most of it will stay as space, as walking trails and quiescent places for people to enjoy nature. But we do have an amphitheater, and we certainly will have shows, and and that will include having parking. So some of that will be off-site. Some of that will be on-site. So we make do with turning uh, some of the lawns into temporary parking, and then we also partner with the city and the university to uh, run shuttles as well. So, Tyron, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, buying a house or property in, like, literally any condition can be a risky thing to do. But you, you take homes as is, right? I mean, are you finding that you might do that and, and, and actually land in a position where you have a home that you can't remodel or renovate? 
Honestly, no, because, um, you know, it's all about as far as the purchase price of where you're buying the property at, right? That gives you the, I would say, um, security of knowing mm-hmm. how to, you know, get your initial investment out of it if anything happens, yeah. per se. Yeah. So, I mean, are people mostly finding you saying, like, I'm in a position where I need to, you know, sometimes you see these signs, right, along the road. It says, yep. like, we buy homes cash, that kind of thing. Yep. I mean, are people just calling a number like that to you, or do you yeah. find marketing your business differently? So we do that, and then we also do a lot of direct-to-seller marketing, right, where we contact the homeowner personally ourselves, right? Okay. We want to make that initial contact, let them know that, hey, look, we're here to help you out. Um, so we deal with an ample amount of people, people that's going through either distress situations, mm-hmm. inheritance, right? Um, they just really don't want the property anymore. They want to move on or maybe job relocation. We're able to kind of come in and help, you know, give them a fair cash offer. That way they can move on and get to their next uh, you know, next destination in life. Yeah. So, so how do you identify a house that you might want to go after? I mean, is it is it just based on like driving through a neighborhood and saying like maybe this person wants to sell? I mean, few indicators, few indicators. So we kind of target guys um, and homeowners that maybe, you know, stay out of town, absentee owners, right? are really just the ones that you may see tall grass, you know, um, cars that's broken down in, the na- in, their, in their area, hmm. uh, things like that, that help us kind of see uh, what's exactly going on there and how we can kind of step in and help out, especially yeah. with, you know, turning that neighborhood back up again, if, if possible. So, you know, JP, I mean, I want to think a little bit about the Monkus Park business model because theoretically this is a business show and so that's what we're supposed to talk about. Um, you know, is it actually that common to have a non-profit park. I mean, like, I think some people sometimes get a little confused about exactly how Monkus Park works, you know, and, and, you know, just for the listening audience, right, like, it's a public good, it's open to the public, it's built on public land that's sort of leased to you, but you're a non-profit park, right? That's I mean, right. Yeah, it's a, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's a confusing, it's a confusing concept until you start to see where they show up. So it's a public-private partnership. We are a private entity, non-profit, like you said, running a public good, a public park. So um, that was always the vision from the Save the Horse Farm days was Mm -hmm. this would not fall under the uh, Lafayette City government. So the city does own the land, which is confusion point number one. Um, So the city uh, leased the land for 99 year lease to the nonprofit, the Park Conservancy, whose mission is to develop it, have construction projects out there, and then ultimately um, maintain and operate it. So uh, you you asked, is this common? Does this show up very yeah, often? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So actually around the country, urban parks, by and large, in big cities especially, see more and more park conservancies. So interestingly enough, City Park in New Orleans just started to morph into a full 100% nonprofit park conservancy over the last year. Sure, wow. I mean, Tyron, I mean, kind of want to point a similar question to you, right? I mean, like I said, you hear people flipping houses, it seems yep. like, though, that y'all have this extra component, meaning the, the title clearance mm-hmm. thing. And I, something I've learned in my own reporting of the current is that in Louisiana, you have this very weird concept of like adjudicated housing. Exactly. The title can get very confusing based around Louisiana state property laws. So is it common to have a structure like yours where you would have somebody inside the company trying to clear the title or, or, or is that something that you guys are bringing to the market as sort of an innovation? No, definitely. It was, um, for us, it was definitely something that we kind of looked at when we looked at uh, profit margins and numbers at the end of the year, we seen that, you know, we we're buying close to about 150 homes wow. per year to say, right? And with the fees that were allocated when it came down to closing, they kind of was costly. Yeah. Um, so us being able to partner with an attorney and, you know, open up a title company, we were able to kind of save a lot of costs with our own personal properties, right? By being able to get those taken care of in-house, uh, with her, so it, it worked out 
uh, very well. And, have, um, have you spent a lot of time having to learn about that kind of property law yes, yourself? Yes, yes, because every property is different. Um, but, you know, every situation can be a little tedious also. So through the, during the process, working with the attorney hand-to-hand, we are able to just kind of learn a lot of different ways how we can um, save us time on the next property, per se, um, and also money, too. So it, it's a learning process yeah, for sure. Sure. So, so I mean, JP, I mean, I, I think most people would recognize – if you're running any kind of nonprofit, long-term revenue stream sustainability can be an issue. I mean, it's interesting. I, I didn't realize that a lot of these other major parks were conservancies. I mean, w- when you're looking out at them and you're saying, hey, w- we're trying to emulate that model and develop revenue streams that can make our park sustainable, w- what are those parks doing that seems to be working in terms of generating revenue long-term outside of, say, public investment? So, great question. So, the, um, it's interesting that you ask. Central Park, I should just note that Central Park Conservancy, the oldest nonprofit. Meaning public, Central Park in New York. Right, yep. Central Park, New York City. Everybody knows the iconic Central Park. Um, we are partnering with them to develop some of these concepts. Whoa. So, um, you know, let's take a, a, examples closer to home New Orleans. Yeah. So, uh, New Orleans does uh, Celebration in the Oaks, the Christmas celebration where they light up all their oak trees and people drive through them and look at the trees. So, as a Christmas celebration, that's a revenue generator for the uh, for City Park in New Orleans. So those are so they come in a couple different flavors. One would be uh, events. Mm. Um, sometimes events can you know when you grow an event big enough, it can be a money it can be a money generator. It, when you look at sponsorships and pay components of that, could be ticketed. It could be related to you know food and beverage or uh, food trucks and other components permitting related to that. So. That's one idea around earned revenue. Another one is um, rentals. Hmm. So it could be a corporate party. It could be a birthday, you know, as simple as a birthday party Hmm. or um, some other larger buyout of a piece of the park. It could be for a private wedding. Hmm. It could be for a 5K. Sometimes it's with a for-profit business. Sometimes it's with a nonprofit. So those rental opportunities is another stream and of course, you started the conversation by uh, asking about parking. Yeah. Our parking lot does charge, we do charge for parking. It's a limited resource, um, nominal fee, but that is, uh, um, that is a stream of revenue for us as it stands right now. So I think if you can convince people in Lafayette that we should pay for parking, you will have done an immense public good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have this habit here where it's like parking should always be free. And I'm like, man, parking in Lafayette is cheap. Right. You travel literally anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, th- that's what really costs Any money. Any other city. Any other, oh, any other city. Five dollars an hour, no big deal. Say, yeah. right, no problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Tyron, he, he raises, you know, issues about how, how they're making money, rentals he brings up. I mean, you guys are redeveloping property, primarily selling them back to new owners. Or are you renting them? Is it a mixture? Yep, it's actually a mixture. Uh, yes. We've kind of focused on firsthand, really just trying to help out with the community. You know, firsthand, if we can get homeowners in there, we would. Yeah. But then we definitely also have a model where we sell and put them back on the market. Mm-hmm. And um, we try to make the neighborhood. I would say uh, per se to really gentrify it a little bit if we can mm-hmm. with just making sure that we find people who uh, take pride in where they stay at right yep. and they want to try to work in a better way to just help the community out in a whole so 
um, that's our model. Most of the properties that we keep for ourselves, uh, we target and make sure that the tenants that's coming in, right, we're looking to help them out with actually being able to kind of go into the lane of home ownership <laughs> as a whole also. So. so I understand you guys have done a lot of this in, in North Lafayette. I mean, are there specific yes. neighborhoods that you guys have targeted? Yeah, well, we actually target the Lafayette area, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans. Oh, wow. That's our three main markets. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yes. so when you guys are doing, you said, I think, what, it was 150 houses yep. a yes, year or, yep. or total? Did yeah, it's total. That's okay. total. And so that's spread across Correct. all three markets. Wow. Yep. Yep, and there's certain as far as zip codes that we target in between each city that we go in. So we're just not hitting the whole city as a whole, yeah. but it's just certain areas where we see that, you know, growth is happening, things are turning over, more businesses are coming into place, right? We try to target those areas. I mean, are you guys doing any, you know, JP talked about public-private partnerships, of course, uh -huh. in housing, you know, that there are all kinds of housing programs. I mean, yep. is that part of what we you guys are working on? We work with the SMILE programs, um, a lot of the Section 8 Authority housing, um, uh -huh. a few different companies that come in, nonprofit organizations where they um, help out homeowners and uh, render as well right we're giving them certain incentives and certain discounts um, on their monthly rent so uh, we kind of work with those a lot to try to help you know help those people come in some of the houses also you're listening to out to lunch of Christian Mader I'm talking to Tyron Morrison who founded Equity Hub and JP McFadden executive director of Monkus Park JP I mean I, I'm sort of generally curious about you know the, the Monkus Park model I mean, there's Actually, let me back up. Monkey Park, as it was developed, right? I mean, it had this sort of big community program. People got involved. I mean, I went to Charette's. I talked about what I wanted and sort of this big vision for what it could be. But anybody who's done any kind of master plan knows that as soon as the master plan actually becomes reality, it changes. I mean, has the what have you guys learned so far that you're like, you know, that was a great plan, but I, in practice, maybe not such a great idea? Absolutely. So, I mean, we do have the master plan. You know, it's the it's the inspirational vision of where we're headed for the next hundred years. Um, but already, you know, really just a year in, we're seeing things that are like, mm, not sure how this is going to work. And I'm mean, a good example of that is around events and rentals and opportunities to activate the park on a larger scale. Yeah. Um, there's not necessarily the, there's the infrastructure in terms of electricity, say, but in terms of the interface between, say, um, a box truck and a person walking their dog. Sure. There's some compli I mean, there's there's operational challenges. We just have to work them out. So yep. I mean, like, I wasn't part of. I mean, I was probably part of the charrettes from your standpoint too, yep. of like being a uh, community member. Oh wow. But not behind the scenes necessarily. Uh, obviously, I wasn't there at the time, yeah. um, and not throwing anybody under the bus. But. Um, <laughs> But some of those things are like, operationally, how do we get this done? So, yeah. um, but we're working on it. So th there are some challenges, but we'll overcome them. Have you found, I mean, like one thing I remember back from that conversation, right, is you kind of like, and I'm going to put these in extremes, right? You sort of like team, leave it a large piece of land to the point where it was like, don't do anything, you know, just a, a lawn. Let's keep it a lawn. There have been folks that essentially wanted this thing to be a, you know. Disneyland. Disneyland, yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah. have you found that, you know, people have embraced what it's, become or do you find people are coming in and like you know what really need those pickleball courts right now i mean what's what's been the attitude there i mean because there was an intentionality about saying like, we're not going to put kind of right. provincial recreation we have parks that do that right right so for sure and that's actually in our lease so no organized recreational facilities huh. so there will be no pickleball there'll be no swimming pool there'll be no uh soccer uh you know organized soccer fields yeah come play pick up whatever for sure yeah um but yes yeah, so some of the so what what we've really what is what's happened is the front half of the park 
has been activated and that's where the majority of the building has taken place. So Veterans Memorial, playgrounds, water feature, amphitheater, dog parks. So you got a lot more activity in the front, which is closest to Johnson Street. When people walk into the back 50 acres, we've got half of it is just open space that we're slowly adding more trails, walking paths, and the other part is woods. And really, you walk into some of those woods, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, Acadian Park. Um, you, you don't feel like you're a quarter mile from Johnson Street. So, I mean, it's a great place to just get out into the woods. And that's the plan is like quiescent, active. Tyron, kind of, something that this brings up for me, honestly, is, you know, I'm sure as a developer, you're looking for amenities. I mean, you're thinking about who's going to live here. I mean, yep. are you, do you look at yep. what's the quality of a park nearby? I mean, is that something that factors into whether you approach a property? Most definitely. Actually, to be honest with you, um, there was a property I had flipped right across the street from Marcus Park. <laughs> and in the anticipation of reading the article that they were coming, that was one of my selling points for actually, you know, wanting to obtain the property mm -hmm. and then be able to flip it and, and sell it to a homeowner, right? I was able to add that there. Well, hey, you know, there'll be a beautiful park that's going to be coming across the street, and that'll be honestly walking distance from the residents. So definitely I do look for things like that that's going on in the neighborhood or the community because mm -hmm. those things are helpful, and it also helps as far as homeowners make their decision on, you know, where they want to spend the next, you know, per se 30 years or the rest of their lives at. I mean, you mentioned earlier you kind of said that there was sort of a customer in your mind or the kinds of folks that you're looking at. I mean, talk to us a little bit about who that might be. I mean, are they typically young families? Is it, you know, single occupants? I mean, what's the kind of profile of somebody that you're hoping comes into one of your properties to right. kind of meet that standard? No, definitely. I'll definitely say it's family generic for sure. You know, yeah. we're going to always be looking for someone who's looking to grow, of yeah. course, because most of the properties that we are touching on are usually between 1,300 to maybe 2,200 square feet, right, of living. Um, you may have some single family, I mean, single parents or single individuals that want, you know, that much space. But honestly, it's your families who are coming in and they want that type of space. They're looking for the backyard, right? They're looking for the good schools and as far as, you know, parks and recreational areas where they can as far as spend time mm -hmm. when they're not at their residence. So, uh, yeah, most of the families that we targeted, they're kind of generically in that area, I would say, for sure. So earlier you used a word that often I think people think of negatively, uh -huh. which is gentrified, right? Yep. I mean, have you found that when you've flipped houses that you've moved new people in i mean if people said hey wait a second you know you're going to raise my property rates and this is going to be a bad situation or most people embracing it because it's you know new development in their neighborhood no honestly a lot of people i would say more say embrace it honestly we have a property that we've uh, purchased and we've renovated uh right downtown actually um a block away from uh, congress okay. right and um there's a lot going on in the area there's um as far as apartment building being built right down the street there's a um as far as another apartment building that just started the adjudication process yeah. to start building also. And then there's some homes that were built by Habitat for Humanity on the next street over. And then there's just a few residents who, you know, decided to spruce up their own homes yeah. just by seeing us come into the community and what we're doing. So they embraced us with open arms, mm -hmm. you know, and they kind of tell us they're excited to see the old house that's just been sitting there for the past couple years right. get some new paint on it, right, and uh, a new touch-up. So yeah. uh, most of them, are, they kind of are very excited about what's going on and what the future has to enter. So. Yeah, you know, JP, I'm thinking about your neighbors, right? A lot of it's commercial, I think, right? I mean, there's a neighborhood kind of right on the edge of the park. But, I mean, in a lot of, especially, like, if you look at a map of, um, you know, old Lafayette, so to speak, a lot of the parks are kind of surrounded by homes. I, mean, I live in a neighborhood. We got a nice little neighborhood park. Do people treat Moncus Park differently than they treat 
their neighborhood park? Do they, do the people in the neighborhood off of West Bayou Park, do they look at it as their neighborhood park? I think it's both and. So certainly the folks around it recognize that it's an amenity and to the point about real estate and property values and selling houses, I mean, we see it all the time, like the leading, the lead line on the, the tagline on selling houses near Monkus Park or next door to Monkus Park. Exactly. But, um, so I, I do think that the neighbors immediately around are recognizing it and are accessing it. But certainly, I mean, we've got people coming from all over the city that are uh, enjoying it and really all over Acadiana, um, which, which is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a struggle back to the parking piece. It's like creating more access points, more areas to get into the park. So, you know, that's an ongoing conversation. You know, I, I know that you guys have you know, been doing events and things like that, and it seems like the turnout on some of these events has been enormous. I mean, probably bigger than I imagine you might have expected. But what do you attribute that to? Is it people coming even from other parts of Acadiana and saying, I've heard of this giant new park, i got to go see it? Or, or, or is it, are we building an anchor for the whole region? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, I, I give a shout out to our marketing team that's doing just a bang up job across all platforms to get the word out there about who we are and what we're about in, in generating the interest. So I think some of it is just that, but um, you know, a lot of it is word of mouth. I mean, this city runs on word of mouth. Haven't been in the, you know, food and food business before. It's like nothing's better than having the recommendation from somebody else that's been there. So I think people that come, that experience, and what we hear time and time again is like, oh wow, this is a lot bigger and better than I ever expected. And then they tell a friend, and then they show up. So I think some of that is just building. And now that we've done some events have occurred multiple times start to build a little family tradition into some things around, oh yeah, you can count on Monkus Park for Christmas and know that this coming Christmas or the following and following, that there'll be something for the family to enjoy when they come out. Yeah, okay. Uh, Tyron, I mean, real estate investing usually takes capital. I mean, did you get involved flipping one and they're just building? Did yep. you have investors? How did you actually get the seed capital to make this happen? Good, good question. Uh, so honestly, starting, yeah, we just started with one, um, you know, just started to as far as kind of just put money that I have saved up, started with one property, seeing what was able to happen through us doing it mm -hmm. and just continue and then understood that, okay, hey, we want to take it to another level. We want to have to kind of scale this business, right? So then we started to take in a lot of private funding where we then as far as took money from as far as doctors, lawyers, you know, different people, local investors in the area and, you know, your local as far as friends and family, right, that wanted to invest in real estate, just didn't have the time. And uh, we were able to kind of allocate that money together, give them a return on their investment after three months, four months, and um, we just kind of went from there. So now we're able to scale. I got currently um, 22 projects going on right now, um, and it's it's working out pretty good. You know, even with the market, people say there's a lot of ups and downs. But like I kind of said earlier in the podcast, right, it's really about where you're buying the property at, purchase price. And uh, a good saying that I learned from an old friend of mine was that you make your money in real estate when you buy, not when you sell. Hmm. And um, it's pretty much that. That's pretty much the process, right? Yeah. Get it. It's interesting you raise that. I mean, I, I would kind of have to ask, right? Yeah. I mean, mortgage rates have gone up. I Correct. mean, you're, you're in the business of debt. I mean, yeah. has, has that chewed into your bottom line? Or are you guys still finding that that's working out for you? Yeah, it's working out. And the reason why is just because of the pri uh, price margin that we're staying in, right? We're pretty much staying in a price where you can say it's affordable housing, yeah. especially for the Lafayette area, right? Right between 150000 to about 230000 are you, you know, your average, you know, um, living 
a cost where, you know, two as far as married people can, you know, pay the mortgage and still be able to float and, you know, take care of their same living uh, standards. So for us, just knowing that and understanding that has helped us not as far as um, overwhelm ourselves, right, with uh, getting, biting off a little bit more that we could uh, actually choose. So, sure, yes, sure. Sir. You know, one thing that's ringing in my head, right, is that, like, you know, my parents' uh-huh. generation, I mean, I think when they bought their first home, like, mortgage yeah. rates were like 10%, 15%, right. <laughs> right? So, like, we talk about this in terms of hist- history, right? Like, decades of, of, of economic ups and downs. I mean, I'm thinking, JP, you know, y'all are a hundred year project, right? I mean, what does that look like in terms of trying to raise the capital over that hundred year time frame? I mean, is that something where you guys are having to go back and raise, you know, on a philanthropic basis, let's say millions of dollars a year, or is it we've got our seed capital and now we just need to figure out how to operate this thing year by year? No, there's more, there's more seed capital for sure. So, um, you know, we talked about, I was just thinking, we had talked about the earned revenue component, which right. is certainly what we want to grow in terms of the ongoing operations and maintenance of the park. But in terms of building the park, that's always going to be a philanthropic ask. Mm-hmm. So we continue to engage some of the major donors in the, in the city and have those conversations about where they want to leave their legacy and is, is that Monkus Park and what would that look like. Um, and those conversations will go on for the next 99 years. So, you know, that's not something that, you know, there's not there's not a checkbox that says if we don't have this thing built in its entirety by year three that we failed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely more of a just just constant gentle pressure, kind of moving the ball forward, um, which is you know what what it takes. But the other piece that I'd like to mention too is, in addition to like the major donors and major capital projects and the earned revenue streams. Another important part is the membership. Mm. So we do have a membership program, which is really geared to everybody. So if you're a user of the park and you come out on a regular basis, how it becomes your park is become a member. And that that's anywhere from $60 to $1,000 a year. I mean, yeah. there's a spot for everybody to fit in there. There's some benefits. The biggest benefit is knowing that you're helping, um, but certainly, Parking is part of that, too, and some other little sneak peeks on some things that we have going on. Yeah, so I guess at the end of the day, we're all just trying to leave a legacy, right? In 100 years, people remember us, we all feel pretty good about that. Uh, JP, Tyron, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Thank you, man. Thank you for having us. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been JP McFadden, Executive Director of Monkins Park, and Tyron Morrison, the founder of Equity Hub. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRBS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out about more about Monkey Park and Equity Hub by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, good for you. You can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan. You can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Chad Terrio. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mader. I'm editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For stories deeper than the headlines, head to thecurrentla.com. Join me next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye.
Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Sunday Soda Fountain. A Sunday's experience includes nostalgic classics like ice cream sundaes, house-made sodas, hamburgers, milkshakes, coffee, and even libations. Sunday's historic soda fountain is open seven days a week with sidewalk dining on Jefferson Street in downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small batch rum, embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com. 